So Jesus, what do you want us to do with this? Um, ask that you would speak through me and what we're going to think about in the next few minutes to help us understand your word and live out of it better. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello to all of you. Thank you all for being here, as well as those of you in the 11 o'clock service and our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, people online. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, this, this sermon here is going to be the last sermon in a series we've done on the book of Daniel. And the main theme through this whole 10 weeks has been being people of courage and hope in turbulent times. And I started this sermon series, and the first sermon I did, I started that sermon by asking you all, do you think we're living in turbulent times? So let me end the same way by asking the same question, which, by the way, is a literary technique known as inclusio. See, my sermons are filled with artistic subtlety you guys aren't even aware of. So many levels, things are happening. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. But do you think that we are living in turbulent times? Let me see your hands. Yeah, most of you. So it hasn't gotten better in the last 10 weeks. No. Maybe even a little worse, right? Political tensions just as high. Two mass shootings in the last 10 weeks. One of them in a church last week. I don't think any, did any of you think twice about coming to church today? Even though statistically it's highly unlikely to happen, right? And you can't live that way. I mean, or you're not going to go to the grocery store or the mall or what, right? And just FYI, we do have security procedures here and people who are trained in security procedures, but still fear is in the air. And Almost all of us have some kind of fear. Maybe it's not that, but most people have some kind of a fear. Maybe it's fears about money. Maybe it's fears about school or career or your future. Maybe it's a fear that people will kind of find out what's really, what you really like on the inside. Most of us have some kind of fear. But of all people, shouldn't those of us who follow a resurrected Lord be people of courage? Because we know that even if we die, we are going to be raised to new life in a body that will never die again on a restored earth, which is why to me it is so disappointing to see nervous, panicky Christians in the media wringing their hands saying, oh my goodness, if we don't do this or that, or if we don't stop such and such, oh my goodness, all hell will break loose. I'm sorry, did not Jesus say that the, his kingdom is on the move and not even the gates of hell can prevail against it? So do we believe that or not? Courage is contagious. Fear begets fear, but courage is contagious. A few years ago, I was on a trip to Cambodia with people from this church, one of whom was a high school student that I was mentoring. And we met there this guy who's working to help victims of injustice. They've had their lands taken by the government, that sort of thing. And, and this, this guy could be arrested for what he's doing. But he kept saying, I have to do this for Jesus who died for me. And later that night, I asked the student I was mentoring what he thought about meeting this guy. And the student said, he's the most inspiring man I've ever met. And I said, hey, what about your mentor? Like, what am I? No, I actually said yes, and he makes me want to be a brave man. Fear begets fear, but courage is contagious. And we are called to be people who have a contagious courage. And we've seen that all the way through, through the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is divided into two parts. The first half is stories lots of us have heard. You know, Daniel in the lion's den, that sort of thing. The second half is all these weird images and visions and kind of prophecy stuff, like end times prophecy stuff, like the book of Revelation. And we saw that in today's text where Daniel has this vision of a ram with two horns. And the angel Gabriel in the text tells him that those, the ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And then there's a goat with a giant horn attacks the ram, like so. 
That's the best picture I could find on that. So it's the best goat and ram picture on the internet. Um, and that goat represents Greece, and the big horn represents Alexander the Great, who formed this huge empire, right? But then the big horn is broken off, and four little horns take, uh, take its place, which represents the fact that after Alexander died, his empire was split four ways. And then another little horn grows up out of one of the four horns that grew up. Another little horn kind of grows up. And this represents a tyrant who called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the magnificent god. But his subjects nicknamed him Antiochus Epimanes, which means the little idiot. <laughs> People have had fun making fun of politicians for centuries, right? And the little idiot, the little idiot persecuted Jews, killed a bunch of people, right? So all of these images are forecasting events that would happen after Daniel died and before Jesus was born. But the angel Gabriel also says the vision concerns the time of the end. So in other words, end times stuff. And the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible picks up on this chapter and, and says that Antiochus Epiphanes is really a foreshadowing of what Revelation calls the Antichrist, a tyrant who will fight against God's people. And then, of course, over the last 2,000 years, pe people have speculated on who the Antichrist is. You know, Henry VIII, Napoleon, most U.S. presidents have been accused of being an Antichrist at some point, right? I saw an article uh, recently that argued that Taylor Swift is the Antichrist. <laughs> All I can say is if that's true, I, it's a serious letdown, right? Like you would hope the Antichrist would be a little more interesting than that, right? And what do you think, all these predictions, all these prophecies, oh, this is what this means, what do you think they all have in common? They've all been wrong. They've all been wrong. In this text, Daniel asks, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And then the angel says, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Well, that clears it right up. Now, I believe these prophesy things that are going to happen in the future. I believe it. I just think it's a little bit deliberately vague on purpose to focus us not on dates and who and all of that, but on the main point of, of these texts as well as Revelation, which is that God is in control. Christians who suffer get these texts. They understand these texts. Christians who face persecutions know there's a bigger message here. And the message is, in spite of appearances, God is in control and is bringing history to a just and holy conclusion. See, Christians who suffer know what these texts mean. Christians who don't play with them and invent little theories about what they all mean. And the main point of Daniel and Revelation is God is in control. No matter what chaos is around us, God is in control and is bringing out good even through the worst of things. Now, I'm guessing that for some of you, that's not that comforting. Because God may very well be in control, but in the meantime, some pretty awful things can happen, right? Like relationships can fall apart, or the loss of a loved one, or failure in school, or, or job, or injustice and violence in our world. And after Daniel sees all the horrible things that are going to happen after he's dead, it says, and you laughed at it, which I think is appropriate, he says, I lay exhausted for several days, right? It's like, oh, geez, rams and goats and horns and, oh, Right? But it did not paralyze him because the very next sentence he says, then I got up and went about the king's business. Then I got up and went about the king's business. And that's the secret to having contagious courage. I saw the news about the shootings, but then I got up and I was about the king's business. I saw all the political tension in our country, but then I got up and I was about the king's business. I saw what was going on in my personal life and the losses that I had faced, but then I got up and I was about the king's business. See, that's how you have contagious courage. So let me elaborate a little bit, okay? 
What does it mean to be about the king's business? Well, for starters, it means to look for God in your daily routine. I mean, on the most basic level, what Daniel means here is he's, a, he's an official in the king's government, so he's just doing the king's business. He's, in other words, just doing his job. He just went about his daily life but looked for God's provision and presence in the middle of his daily life because God often shows up in ordinary kind of practical ways and we just need to have eyes to see it. As I've said before, my wife is a very practical person, not sentimental at all, least sentimental person on the planet. And she loves me, she loves our kids, she doesn't, but she doesn't show it in sentimental ways. She just shows it in kind of very practical ways. Um, and so, for instance, other moms, right, they'll like save every picture their kids ever drew, every paperweight they ever, ever made. Like, not my wife, uh-uh. No sentiment there, right? When, when our oldest daughter was about five or six, there was a woman from our church visiting us, and my, my daughter said, would you like to see the picture I drew in school? And the woman said, oh, yeah, where is it? And Holly said, here in the recycle bin where mommy put it. <laughs> I'm not sure that woman still goes to this church. I think she might have. Now, Christina loves us. She just shows it in very practical ways. You know, like food, and it work, that works for me real great. Right? God is similar. Often, he is found in the unexciting, ordinary practical details of our lives. Often when a loved one is gravely ill, family members will say they saw God show up in lots of ways. The nurse who happens to be a Christian and prays for them. Or, or the, the, do they get just the right doctor? Or friends show up with a meal or babysitting. Look for God's provision daily and it gives you courage. Second way to have contagious courage is don't be deceived. This text describes Antiochus Epiphanes as a master of intrigue who will cause deceit to prosper. See, fear works through deceit by making things scarier than they actually are. And with 24-hour news and Facebook and Twitter, right, constantly putting the news in our face, it's easy to think things are worse than they actually are because we're just seeing it over and over and over and over again. So, for instance, according to the Bureau of Justice, violent crime is down 77% in the last 25 years down 77%, but all the surveys show the public believes crime rates are going up, which means we are afraid of crimes that are not happening. And I don't want to minimize it. We have serious problems in our country. Yes, yes, yes. In the world, yes, yes, yes. Right? Yet fear makes them seem bigger than they are. So let's not let every rumor rattle us because fear always lies. Fear always lies. It's like a story I heard about a, a pastor who was walking down the street. He came to a group of 10-year-old boys surrounding this dog. So the pastor said, what are you doing with this dog? And one of the boys said, well, he's just an old stray, but we all want to keep him, but only one of us can have him. So we've decided whichever person can tell the biggest lie gets to keep the dog. So the pastor launched into this sermon about how bad lying is and you shouldn't do that. And then he ended it by saying, besides, when I was your age, I never lied. And then there was this pause and Finally, one of the boys said, oh, all right, give him the dog. <laughs> Fear always lies. Third way to have contagious, be a contagious, have contagious courage is be about God's business. When Daniel says he went about the king's business, obviously there's a double meaning. The king of Babylon's business, but also the king of kings' business. Right? And when we are about God's business more than our own, it makes us courageous because God's purposes can't be stopped. So if that's what we're focused on, we have courage because we're part of something that can't be stopped. I know a man who knows that his calling is to help young men become men and discover Jesus in the process. And I've noticed he has, he has almost no, if any, career anxiety, even though he's in a high-pressure job in an industry where keeping your job can be hard to do. 
But he's not worried because the thing he's most focused on, helping young men become men, can be done in any career. See, he is about God's business, so he is less fearful about his own business. And as we've seen throughout this series, Daniel and his friends were about the business of helping the Babylonian people experience God. And they didn't do it by lecturing or demanding or arguing. In fact, Daniel and his friends go a long way to accommodate and affirm the culture rather than criticize it. They allow their names to be changed to names that honor Babylonian gods. They submit to Babylonian religious indoctrination in their school, and they don't protest. And then when they're asked to do something they truly couldn't do, like worship idols, even then they weren't belligerent, they were just brave. And they paid the price for their faith. They didn't expect everyone else to pay the price for their faith. So they didn't insist that Babylonian baristas at Starbucks say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. They bore the price for their faith, and their courage convinced a pagan king that God was real. See, when we stop shouting and start sacrificially serving, the world takes notice. And it gives us courage, because when we're about God's business, we know we're about something that cannot be stopped. In fact, there's an interesting PS to this text. This text predicts Antiochus, who, when he came on the scene, ruled from his city of Antioch, which he named after himself. Right? I love that. Let's name a city after me. Right? But in the Bible, Antioch is not famous for that. It's famous because it's the first place where followers of Jesus were called Christians. See, Antiochus is long gone, and most of you have never heard of him, because Antiochus was about Antiochus's business, not God's business, which lasts. But the people of God who bear his name, Christian just means little Christ, well, they're still here, and his kingdom is growing. Most of my fears are about me, my business, my career, my hopes, my desires, right? And maybe you're similar. Fears around school or relationships or money, and those things matter. But when our main goal is God's main goal to bring his healing to this planet, then we become much more courageous because we are about something that cannot ultimately be stopped. I got an email from a woman in our church who teaches in a school here where 79% of her students are in poverty and come from some pretty difficult circumstances. And that, coupled with the turbulent times we're in, inspired her to create what she calls a wall of hope. And it's posters containing these colorful post-it notes uh, where students and staff have written messages of encouragement and hope and love, and now they line the walls of her school. And she said, with all the negative news, this wall of hope gives students a positive message. See, she is about our king's business, pushing back on fear and bringing in hope, which helps her to have hope because, see, she's part of solving the problem. And action always feels better than paralysis. Look for God in your daily routine. Don't be deceived. Be about the king's business. And then finally, trust God's Easter judo. And here's what I mean. Just as in judo, where you turn your opponent's force back on the opponent to defeat them, when the weapons of this world, suffering, death, oppression, combined to crucify Jesus, he used that force, he did his ultimate judo move, and used those things intended to destroy him to pay the price for our sins and conquer death by rising again. That's God's Easter judo. He will compel evil to yield the exact opposite of what it intended. See, the Christian message is not that bad things won't happen. That's the American counterfeit Christianity. God keeps me safe, right? That's, the, that's about the American idol, safety, not about the Bible. Bad things are just going to happen. They just are. But God has so overruled evil that it backfires and accomplishes the exact opposite of what evil intended. So, for instance, uh, the Jim Crow laws that segregated African Americans, evil, right? Those were evil, 
Uh, and they force them to be in black-only churches and black-only uh, uh, schools and black-only clubs. But ironically, God overruled that evil, and, and the, the, that those Jim Crow laws created all black institutions, schools, churches, clubs, that provided the networking that was necessary to sustain the civil rights movement. So the very thing that was intended to keep African Americans down resulted in them being more empowered. God overrules evil, and Jim Crow laws are evil, to make them, make them yield the exact opposite of what they intended. At the end of the book, Daniel, uh, uh, book of Daniel, the angel says this to him, to Daniel. As for you, go your way. Be about the king's business. And at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. In other words, not even death has the last word. Not even death can conquer us because God has overruled death and, and will bring new life wherever Jesus is. Two years ago, 21 Christians were beheaded by ISIS on a beach. And many of you remember that story and remember that picture. Right? But as a number of news sources reported at the time, one of the men named Matthew Iagira was not a Christian. He just got kidnapped with the rest of them. And, but as the terrorists went down the line one by one and asked each of these people, told them that if they would reject Jesus, they would live, each one of them said, Jesus is Lord, and spent their last moments praying, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Well, Matthew, who was not a Christian, saw their courage and their faith, and so when the terrorists got to him and asked if he would reject Jesus in order to live, he said, I'm with them. Their God is my God now. And he was killed. How do you explain that? How, do you, how does a non-Christian who could live if he would re just reject a Jesus he has never believed in decide in the face of certain death he wants to follow Jesus? Here's how. I think it's called freedom. He looked at the other 20 and saw an absolute freedom from fear that not even death could intimidate them because they knew they would rise again and he wanted a piece of that action. Fear begets fear, but courage is contagious. Now you or I will probably never face that moment so our acts of courage are going to be different. You know, maybe like the teacher who built a wall of hope for you, it's, it's to find a way to be about our king's business in your workplace or school or neighborhood. Maybe it's to take a plate of cookies to that neighbor whose name you don't know and get to know him. Or start a conversation with someone who's a different age, race, religion, or if you really want to go out on a limb and be really daring, someone who votes differently than you. You know, and just, just talk to him as a person, get to know him as people. Maybe it's to mentor a student by teaching Sunday school or, you are in, or in our youth program or in Eastside Academy. We, we need you, and they want you. And as anyone who's done that will tell you, it brings a lot of joy to mentor a younger person. What's your way of walking in courage to spread it to others? Last spring, I, I encouraged uh, all of us to find a way that we could bring Jesus healing where we live, work, play, or learn. And I told you then to send me the stories. Well, I got an email from a man. I'm going to call him Mike. And he said, frankly, Scott, after that sermon, I wondered how I would get an opportunity to do that kind of outreach given my cushy, insulated life. You should never ask a question like that. Mm -mm 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 -mm. God's going to answer that one. And he said that they'd had a lot of break-ins in their neighborhood recently. And, and he said in his email, and like you, Scott, I'm a close friend of paranoia. <laughs> Not sure what he meant by that, but. And so one day, Mike came home one afternoon, and, and he saw a car parked in the park that's next door to his house. And two guys were standing around this car, he thought, looking mildly menacing. menacing. A couple hours uh, later, he left, and the car was still there, and then when he came back, the car was still there. So he told his wife about it, and she told him to take a picture of the license plate. And he said, being the always obedient husband that I am, always obedient to her, I went out, and I attempted to capture the plate on my cell phone. 
But then the guy, this guy got out of the car, started yelling, accused Mike of threatening him. Colorful words were spoken. And Mike said, being the brave guy that I am, I started to moonwalk backwards. And then he told all his neighbors, hey, look out for this car. Be on the alert, right? Well, the next day when he came home from work, the car was back. So he went out to get another picture of the license plate. And the guy in the car started filming Mike with his phone. So Mike is filming the guy in the car filming Mike filming him, right? Meta-filming. And Mike said, and then it hit me. I felt an urge that was definitely not mine to walk up there and offer the guy something to drink. I told my wife about it. She said I was crazy. He could be dangerous. A valid point. But he knew that his neighbor was going to have a men's group in a few hours, so he just waited till the guys from the men's group started parking around there so there'd be people around, walked up to the car, knocked on the window, and offered the guy a beer. And Mike said the look on this man's face was priceless. And he said, it was, it, it, the man in the car said, is this a setup? And Mike said, I laughed, and I showed him the beer, and he invited me into his car, and I got in, and I apologized for overreacting. And the man said he was homeless, and, and that he stays there because of the, in that park because of the bathrooms. His mother lives in Bellevue, but they're estranged. He really wants to turn his life around. He's only 24. He wants to get a job. He used to work at the Hyatt Hotels, on and on and on. Mike said, the next morning, I woke him up as I was leaving for work, and I gave him some, gave him some money to get a decent meal or two. And he almost had tears in his eyes as he shook my hand. And then Mike ended his email by saying this. So here's the deal, Dudley. You got me into this fix, so now you have to, have to, have to help me get through it. Okay, how's this my problem? <laughs> and he said, he said, notice I didn't say get me out of it. I'm in it, but I need the church's help to find him a job and a place to live. And that's what we did. We found this, helped find this guy a job uh, and some folks in our church helped him find, uh, pl- found a, find a place to live and now this guy is no longer homeless and he is off and running to the races. <laughs> now your story will be different than that. But the main point is what seemed scary at first was actually an invitation to be about our king's business. And when Mike started participating in what God was doing, his fears vanished and courage rushed in. Because when we are about God's business, we feel invincible because we know God's purposes can never be stopped. Oh, many have tried. Many have tried. Caesar tried. Dictators have tried. Terrorists have tried. It only makes the movement stronger. Every time people start getting killed for following Jesus, conversions to Christianity go up. People see that and they want, they want part of that. No, the most effective weapon against the church is comfort and safety. The American idols. Get people to play around with churchianity, but never let them enter into the brave, daring, costly adventure of partnering with Jesus to bring up there down here. The church was formed against terror. Jesus stood before a Roman governor who told him that he would kill him in the worst possible way imaginable, and that's exactly what Pontius Pilate did, and the empire's intimidation seemed to work for a little bit because Jesus' followers all went into hiding for fear that they'd be nixed because that's what crosses are designed to do, scare you into submission, but it didn't last because on the third day, and with Jesus, there is always a third day. Days one and two may be very painful, but with Jesus, there is always a third day. And with the third day comes new life. And then his followers were unstoppable because they knew even if they died, they would be raised to new life again, which is why Christians throughout the centuries who have faced persecution have said with love and courage to the forces of fear, throw your best punch, do your worst. God's purposes cannot be stopped for me or for this world. Cast us out, we'll invite you in. Mock us, we're gonna bless you in return. Hate us, we're gonna love you anyway. Tell us to be quiet. We're gonna keep talking about Jesus. Put us in prison. We'll convert the jailer. Whip us, we'll sing him. 
him, slap us in the face, we'll embrace you in love, kill us and a hundred more will rise to take our place. We can do this all day. Fear, when are you gonna give up? You're not gonna win this one. It's Easter judo. It's the physics of grace and you can't stop it. You can slow it up. You can inflict damage along the way, but none of it will stick. None of it will last. None of it will hold and none of it will stop God's purposes. Oh, you may make me afraid for a season, but I will rise and be about my king's business as I move in faith, not fear, because this is not your world and this is not my world and this is not anyone else's world. This is my father's world and he is in control. He is Lord. He is God, not my problems, not my pains, not my fears, not my desires, not you or me or anyone else. He is in control, making all things new until that day when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever, so I am unafraid. So Jesus, you can make us genuinely brave. Whatever our fear, money, school, future, people knowing what's going on in the inside, whatever it is, God, Make us brave because we follow you and then help our courage to be contagious and we will give you all the glory. In your name, Jesus, amen.